0: and enemies it's your cool mystery
1: ants here at perhaps it's you i'm samantha i'm liz and we always start talking before we adjust our microphones you think we would have figured this out by now nope and we never will that's the perhaps it's you promise (laughs)
0: lenny do you want to say hi to everybody oh Oh, oh. <laughs> that was a distinctive no. He does not want to say hi to nope, everyone. I Fair guess not. enough.
1: All right. Lenny won't get his own podcast then. <laughs> nope. So much for that. Do we have
0: any updates today? I
1: have nothing.
0: <laughs> we are hanging on by a thread in these apocalyptic times. I might fall asleep in the middle of this. It we'll is see. It's quite warm in here. It's pretty warm. Yeah. And we are just kind of spent. Yeah, so we, we are thanks for indeed. tuning in. I hope this is not your first episode. <laughs> Go listen to one that's really good. Yeah, I don't I'm know sure there's are
1: a better one. Randomly pick any, and you got a, at least a 50 50 shot of it being better than this.
0: Let me say before we even start hello and welcome. This is an Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. Do follow along with our evil overlords over at Amazon Prime. We're on season four, episode four. That's right, in four seasons we haven't learned how to do anything. You're welcome. You may hear my dog Lenny Bisco. Oh no, that's Curtis. Hey, Ray Curtis, he's jangling around here. Also, Mac is looking confused. Hey, Mac, do you want to say hi to people with a voice crush on you? Are you looking for your sandwich? Maybe in the microwave. Okay, should we just go? Yeah, why not? <laughs> okay. So Mac is in the kitchen. There are dogs around. We are talking about season four, episode four, Unsolved Mysteries. Robert Stack is there. He has a trench
1: coat. How fast can we do this? <laughs> boom, 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 done. <laughs> Alright. We have a we have a Facebook page. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Perhaps it's you. We'll accept five star great right reviews. and good night. <laughs> We're just done. It's five seconds long. <laughs> <laughs> what if we really did end the episode
0: there? I would be okay with it, honestly.
1: <sighs> okay. No. All right. No, we, the fans depend on us. They really
0: do. High fans, High five listeners. All right. I think you're going first. I sure am. I am doing a segment known as The Investigators.
1: Oh, yeah. This is about profiling.
0: <laughs> Where... So, have you ever heard of criminal profiling? Oh, you have, because it's no longer the 80s? Well, once upon a time, the idea that criminals were profiled might have blown your fucking mind. Yeah, now we have criminal minds. At this like- point, half of television shows are about that. So, we kind of didn't need this segment, except for the fact that it's also about what is known now as the Connecticut River Valley Killer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I sort of think they should make, like, a Zodiac movie about. It's,
1: it's fascinating. It's an interesting case. Okay. It is. And also, I want to say, like, right off the top, like, I feel like this is the type of episode people think of when they're, like, still afraid of Unsolved Mysteries. Like, they, they're looking back on their childhood watching this show and remember being really scared. I think, no, I think they were scared of aliens. That may be true as well. But, like, Mac, which were you more scared of as a kid, kidnappers or aliens? yeah
0: <laughs> i mean that's
1: what i was more scared of as a kid too
0: but like this episode is creepy as fuck it is very creepy and i write down several times that the music is really fucking good which it is it's very dramatic synthy scary music and i love it it's excellent and yeah we're just dr- uh,
1: this episode I'm clinking
0: my ice cubes i apologize there are no rules This is uncensored. Perhaps it's you. No hold bar. This is a. a X rated. uh, X rated. Whoa. Okay. Actually, no. You know how I feel like this was an early aughts thing? That DVDs that would go to like Blockbuster or something would be like new, expanded edition, unrated. And they just added in like a couple seconds that hadn't gone to the ratings board. There was nothing actually like sexy or saucy about it it just technically was unrated <laughs> they, they weren't lying they weren't lying it just made it seem like it was sensational that's what this that's is. what this is yeah. yeah it is unrated i'm so. not even gonna
1: be able to edit out all this shit that we're
0: <laughs> no don't even try it's just... raw it's, it's just that we really are yeah. yeah yeah i'll leave in all our ums leave leave like add some <laughs> Just have me say like even more. Maybe it's some
1: belches. Sure, we'll knock our microphones yeah. around a little bit. Yeah,
0: this is the this is the raw and ready episode for oh, raw and ready. Yes,
1: <laughs> never the, say that, that again. No, that's the name of this episode. When he's no, about. no, I refuse to call it that. <laughs> or just three X's. <laughs> no. We're going to get the weirdest DMs on Instagram. <laughs> I don't want that. Oh, that is the bad part
0: about Instagram is that anyone can DM you. Yes. <laughs> what, is that? what the hell is with that, by the way? Yes. Not cool. You're cool. right. I'm sorry. We're not calling it some that and you can
1: edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably leave it in, but we're not calling it that. Raw and ready. No never this is a respectable podcast about <laughs> aliens it's
0: also like the most like 90s way to talk about porno <laughs> Raw and, you, it's something from when a video store would just have a beaded curtain <laughs> and then it was like oh don't go back there that's for adults only <laughs> and he would be like huh i wonder what's you know do you know what I'm talking about at all? Or are you too young?
1: I don't recall beaded curtains, but I recall like cover, like like dust jackets or whatever the fuck are on a VHS. Like yeah, like being you know like blacked out or whatever. Oh sure, yeah, yeah that's what I remember cool. from Blockbuster. <laughs> I did walk around a Blockbuster. A time or two. <laughs> A time or two. That was like
0: my whole use. Okay. Oh my freaking lord. Okay. So the investigators. Oh, yeah. That's what we we're talking about. We weren't talking about retro pornos <laughs> like you wanted. We were talking about the investigators. So this segment opens with Bernice. She is going to her boyfriend's house and she's never seen again. And then we're told that this killer likes driving. Okay.
1: Didn't everyone? I mean, doesn't everyone? I don't understand.
0: I mean, I don't, but I'm also not the killer, so I guess that ruled me out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we can rule out Liz. Okay, wait. This case is unsolved, so we can rule out Liz. Realizing that usually when we do two episodes, we do Patreon second. (laughs) And then Patreon is, like, a little more loosey-goosey.
1: Yes. Today we, we did this did, in the wrong order. Today we did Patreon
0: first, and I have clearly already lost my mind. <laughs> I've never had it to begin with, and so... This is rough. I'm going to keep this in mind for next time we're doing two episodes in a day, because this is sloppy. <laughs> <laughs> this is real sloppy. Okay.
1: So, what are we talking about again?
0: Was Robert Stack there? <laughs> Maybe. We also learned that Ellen Freed's body was found 19 etn months later in the woods, and that Bernice's body was then found nearby. Then we learned of Martha Agnew, who was found in an isolated hillside in Heartland, Vermont. Then Casual Stack comes out. Very Casual
1: Stack. Doesn't know what to do with- Does he have pockets? He's, his his just hands <laughs> are just, like, weirdly out to the sides. He's just, like, robot Frankenstein walking. Like,
0: oh, hi. I'm just here to drop down while you might be eating dinner with your family to let you know that a hundred serial killers live among <laughs> us at any time. <laughs> Which- You probably, I mean, if you listen to podcasts, you probably knew that now. But at that time, that must have been terrifying information. Mom
1: knocks the table
0: over running to the
1: front door to lock
0: it. Yeah, the TV tray, and then the frozen dinner, and the little corn nuggets (laughs) go flying, and... Oh, Stack, you just ruined dinner again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Rubber stack, ruining dinners left and right. (laughs) Yes.
0: Uh, And then we learn a little bit about profiling, and that it is an overwhelming task for authorities to learn how the killer thinks, and hopefully, where and when he might strike again. So, profiling. (laughs) It's the scientific, quote unquote,
1: art of guessing. The fact that it's described as a scientific art is uh, uh, telling. A, a stretch, maybe. Yeah, because it really is more of an art than a science. Not really. It it is more of an art than a science. It's it's just educated guessing. Yeah. Uh, can you
0: tell I don't really like that show Mind Hunter very much? What do you feel? How do you feel about Criminal Minds?
1: Did I, you ever watch
0: it? I don't think I ever watched that one.
1: I watched it somewhat regularly in the beginning, but then like most shows, it got weird. I mean, I really like Millennium. That one really hot uh, guy. I forget his name. Oh. I forget his name in the show and in real life, but I feel like everyone knows who I'm talking about. I don't. Criminal Minds. I'm going to look him up. Isn't that guy from Darmline Greg on Criminal Minds? I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: feel like <coughs> even though she didn't, Samantha just put out a cigarette as she said that. <laughs> I don't fucking know.
1: She grinds it out in the ashtray. Who's the hot guy in Criminal Minds is what I just Googled. (laughs) That's in your search history forever. Shamar Moore. Shamar Moore? Hold up a picture. Okay. I don't know who that is. I want to learn more of your taste
0: in celebrity men that are not Gordon Ramsay.
1: I'm going to add shirtless to the search (laughs) terms. why not? Just go for it. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. Here, I'll let Liz browse through the photos for a second. I don't
0: think I did know who this is, but I can see why you referred to him this way.
1: Yeah. He's clearly the hot one. Okay.
0: I'm sure that's what people who investigate crimes look like. Absolutely. Not people who do eight hours of crunches a day. No.
1: He's shirtless way more in the show than I remember. Well, why do you think that's people are coming probably why I in? watched
0: it. <laughs> I had no idea what I was missing. Um. Oh, yeah. So this is an investigation of the death of 15 women in the new... England area around the Vermont border. I don't think it's referred to this in the episode, but this is, if you were going to look this up on Wikipedia, it's called the Connecticut River Valley Killer, which I already said, um, and it's murders mostly around Claremont, New Hampshire, and the Connecticut Riddick River Valley, and they're pretty much all in the 80s. Starting in maybe 78 to 87.
1: All I want to talk about is the scene where the profiler is walking through the woods. Yeah, he's like walking through the woods. Just slow motion. Talking about how
0: he would like go to the scene of a crime and try to put himself in the mind of a killer You're and think about- You're seeing his face through the tree it's trunks. It's like kind of distorted and he's With like- fog would involved. I, would I hear the sound of the river or would I be so focused on killing that that sound wouldn't even make it to my ears? Like he's trying to- figure out like why this location is because his theory is the killer is not as interested in victims as he is in sites that he's finding women pretty much at random that he can abduct and take to sites where they will be very isolated and he can have complete control over them uh, so he can scare them a lot before killing them and that he actually likes terrorizing them and that's kind of this killer's mo so that is the profile guesstimation. So, then we hear from the one believed survivor of these attacks who is blacked out you can't see who she is and they're calling her jane which is probably not her name so she went to the fair and just randomly stopped to get a pop from a
1: vending machine she's seven months pregnant so she's driving down she's fucking thirsty yeah she hot a, she's been well, at the fair all day like a rest stop pop was probably really expensive and she yeah. was like i'll get one
0: later so what well, the point of telling you that is it's not probable that he stalked this victim if this seems like a chance encounter she just she wasn't even planning to go to the fair that day she wasn't planning to be on this road she just happened to go then she happened to stop at this vending machine she happens to be at this rest stop in the middle of nowhere at night there's no one there she gets out she gets herself a pop she gets back in the car and then this man approaches her and says something like is the phone working like the pay phone at the rest stop. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I don't know. And then he starts to attack her. He like gets in through the window of the car and is attacking her. And she is pleading with him not to hurt her, that she's pregnant.
1: The reenactment is so scary. It's very scary. Because I put myself at that rest stop in the middle of fucking nowhere in dark it's dark out and a, a man just comes up and comes through your window trying yeah. to grab you and who 5 seconds earlier seemed perfectly friendly and is just
0: ac- asking you an innocuous question it's a fucking nightmare it's very scary the music is very scary if there's any reason why this would be upsetting to you maybe don't watch it because it is pretty intense so he drags her out of the car he is threatening her with a knife he there's a struggle though and she gets away so she is stabbed it's more than 18 times we learn later but he isn't able to transport her to a to an off-site location because of her struggle so she gets left for the, in the parking lot for dead and she is sort of like struggling to get up and he like slow in the reenactment based on her testimony or her story is like slowly driving away, like just looking, looking at, at her. oh uh, Horrible. <clears throat> but so she is lying there going, You are going to die. You're bleeding out. You're gonna die. You're, my baby's gonna die. Yeah. yeah. She manages to crawl into her car and drive two miles to her friend's house oh, that is but nearby. The worst part. She's driving. I mean, worse. It's horrible. It's horrible. So she's driving on this country, like probably barely lit road in the it's middle the of It's no- the only
1: road. There's not turnoffs right. in the middle of nowhere
0: because she has it in her head. And this is probably true that she needs to get her friend's house in order to live. I don't know that she has access to call the ambulance or the police. Right. So she's trying to get to the, the nearest safe place that she knows, which happens to be her friend's house two miles away. So she's driving down the road. She's bleeding. She's in shock. She's delirious. She doesn't know how fast she's going. She gets up to the killer's car. Yeah, right behind him. Right behind. She's like riding his bumper and it's like, is he going to stop? Is he going to like slam on his brakes? Yeah. I'm going to hit him. He's going to come back and finish me off. Yeah. She has no idea oh, what's going to happen. So horrible. She manages to get to her friend's house, pull into the driveway, start screaming for her friend. They see the car pull, pull away, turn around, come back and look at them. And then drive off. Oh, my God. It's so horrible. Fortunately, Jane gets to a hospital. Despite all her stab wounds, both her and the fetus are fine.
1: The knife just miraculously missed her vital organs. It missed all of of her vital organs. So she's physically okay. Yes.
0: Yes. That's why I mean by quote-unquote fine, because obviously something like this is going to haunt you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Uh, but yes, fortunately, physically, she survives the attack. The fetus survives her attack. At this point, she undergoes hypnosis. With this profiler? Yeah. Who's also a hypnotist? Sketchy. Does he also do, like, party tricks? Is he also a magician? <laughs> and, and now I pull a rabbit out of my hat! Yeah, he's like, make a balloon animal for me? <laughs> Alright. But this gets them a better uh, description of his face and also a partial license plate. Unfortunately, the partial license plate brings back like more than a thousand plates in the area. But they do get an eyewitness statement from her that's good enough to use uh, to make a sketch. Then the profiler gives us this very helpful description of the killer. He is a loner type of person. They're always loners. I think his view of women is extremely negative. Oh,
1: what gives you that idea? To the
0: point of viewing them as arrogant,
1: intrusive types of people. Thanks, dude. Did he also have mommy issues? Come on. Thanks. Let's get the trifecta here.
0: So, here's the update on this. Jane believes, or the person who is really Jane, Jane believes that she now knows the man, the identity of the man who stabbed her. Whether or not that's the same person who killed these other women is unknown. But what happens is, many years later, Jane gets, like, a package in the mail. What? <laughs> yes, telling her who this dude was. And it turns out it's this private investigator from Florida who was just, like, looking into the case as, like, a hobby. I'm
1: not okay. kidding. Okay. Oh. So I mean, I can see why this case would attract people like that, because it's thought that her attacker was probably the serial killer.
0: His name was Michael Nicolano... He was a former Army helicopter pilot. He matches the physical description of who attacked Jane. He killed himself in Florida in 2005. Didn't he also kill his family? Yes. That's what attracted the attention of the private investigator, was that he was very violent towards his family. His his wife had been in fear of him and had been trying to leave him. And he ended up murdering her before disappearing. And that oh. was actually in a very similar area, a close proximity to where... Okay. Jane was attacked. Interesting. So sh-
1: this package
0: that Jane received, I think contained a photo of this person and then Jane went, "Okay, that's him." Huh. So I read a little bit more about it and in her mind that puts it to rest. Okay. Like there isn't physical evidence the police can use to consider this case closed, but to her once she saw a photo of this guy, she was like, "Yep, that's him." And that has given her some peace of mind, because obviously, this has been very traumatic. And the fact that he was still out there was very traumatic, right? So she has found some peace and believing that this is him, and that he's dead. Whether or not that connects to these other deaths at the time, no one's really sure. There is a guy who confessed to the murder of Heidi Martin on his deathbed, but the police at the time didn't take it very seriously for reasons I don't understand. Mm-hmm. So it, like, wasn't really looked into, and that was Delbert Tallman. Um, he confessed to killing her with, like, a group of friends, and oh. it sounds like kind of just for fun. Oh my god. Okay, no, sorry. So, Delbert Tellman confessed to killing Heidi Martin in 1984. Her death was similar to the Connecticut River murders. However, he recanted his confession and was actually acquitted. So, another suspect was Gary Westover. He confessed to the murder of Barbara Agnew, the final Connecticut River victim, on his deathbed. He claimed that he and three other men abducted and killed her. It seems like for absolutely no reason. Just for kicks. But for some reason police didn't really take it seriously at the time, and that information only got back to Barbara Agnew's family like a lot later. Um so it's That's horrible. Yeah. So it's unknown if he was actually responsible or if he did the other murders as well. It seems like Barbara Agnews family considers that that murder closed, but they didn't really investigate it in okay. connection to him. So, um, this is a case that I feel like hasn't gotten a lot of attention, and I wish, I don't know, I kind of wish we, like, heard more
1: about it. Yeah, you Um, would think, you know, but since it was a serial killer, likely, I mean, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's sad. It is very sad, and the reenactments are scary. And but it was—it's a fascinating case. Though, like, it is an interesting case. I didn't I, really need the profiling aspect. No, to it. that part I think
0: is dumb. But it's not actually that much of the segment. And it's—I don't know. You can just ignore it and just focus on this possible serial killer. Um, I feel bad that I'm not better prepared to talk about these victims. Um, but we don't hear a ton about them in the segment.
1: No, it was just like a... Because
0: it's focused on the investigators. Right. So, um, maybe at some point later we could talk more about the actual killings.
1: Sure. Alright, are we ready to go on to the next one? Yes. This is a fraud. So, John Fairbanks was a judge and... Oh, wait, but we had an unnecessary update. Oh, yeah.
0: But it did mean I get to see my true love again. Oh, that's right. What was his name? Uh, I wrote it down. I don't remember. <laughs> You know, my true love. Oh, Duncan. Duncan. That's right,
1: Duncan. Duncan is very sexy. So
0: we get to see a reenactment about a girl finds her father, and her father in the reenactment is hot as hell. So yeah.
1: check that out. Duncan. <laughs> All right,
0: and then we got a fraud.
1: John. Fairb- this is a good one. This is a good one. So John Fairbrinks was a judge in Newport, New Hampshire. Because Newport is a small community, his duties as a judge were minimal, so he was able to maintain a lucrative law firm on the side. <laughs> so he had a side business as being a fraudster. Specialized- See, if they'd given him more work, he wouldn't have <coughs> time to commit these crimes. Pretty much... So, he specialized in probate law. He was well-liked and known for being honest. He was considered uh, well well-respec- a well-respected pillar of the community. Uh, one, the the uh, quote about him that I wrote down was, some guy said, you might knock him for other things, but he was honest. Like, what other things? Yeah, that was curious, too. Well, he killed all the puppies in the neighborhood, but he was honest. (laughs) His gambling
0: problem was out of control. But but he was honest. He was very upfront about it. He pushed old ladies (laughs) in
1: front of cars, but he was honest. (laughs) Like, what? It (laughs) It was a weird thing to say. It's a very weird thing to say. (laughs) Uh, When a client died, Fairbanks would visit the widow, not only to offer his condolences, but also to relieve her of her financial worries. That was the Uh quote we got from Robert Stack. Mm -hmm. One of these widows was Patricia Sawyer, whom Fairbanks had been helping since 1958. If only they had been worried they had too much money. He would have been a huge help. Her husband had grown up with Fairbanks. Their families were very close. He helped her settle her husband's estate. He also helped her with her income taxes. In August of 1987, she agreed to turn over stock certificates to him so he could inventory her holdings. Which she had absolutely no idea what they were worth. She was like, here's a bunch of paper. Figure it out. Yeah. Also, he told her that he would help her with her will. However, And it's kind of sad. The sweet old lady is like, well, so many people had died, so I need to rewrite my will to give money to someone. Right. If only someone
0: could help me carry these very
1: heavy stocks and bonds out of my my deposit
0: box. Yeah, my will is worthless now. Everyone I was going to leave money to is in the
1: ground. (laughs) so sad. However, every... I trust you, Judge. Every time... (laughs) Sorry. Every time she would call about it, he would say that he was unable to work on it. This so, seems like something that would have taken an afternoon. It's like, well, he was just so busy. On October... Then maybe he shouldn't have agreed to do it. <laughs> Look, she just wasn't a big enough bitch about it, I guess. Yeah. That's just the sweet lesson old lady. here.
0: That's the lesson here. Be a bitchy old lady, not a sweet old lady.
1: <laughs> Be a bitchy old lady, not a sweet old lady. <laughs> I think that's the title of this episode. all <laughs> <laughs> well, want such good life advice in this I show, I really
0: do. I hope it ends up in fortune cookies.
1: <laughs> Someone opens their fortune cookie and it's be a bitchy old lady, not a sweet old lady. That would make my life. I would take that to a frame store and get that professionally framed if I got that out of a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> be like, I knew it. I was planning on being a bitchy old lady all along, but this Thank just. Thank you, Cookie! This, this just solidifies it. all of my decisions. <laughs> I mean, I'm a bitchy young woman, too. God, but so, not much. Okay. Oh, <laughs> well,
0: like- yeah, so, saying the teen, it is now August 1987. Does anybody know what happens in October 1997? I do. 87. Oh, sorry. October <laughs> 1987. I do, because I remember it. <laughs>
1: It's Black Monday.
0: No, that's the day my brother was born. Black Monday. Oh.
1: Is that, I woke up that? Is that why they call it Black Monday? Because he yeah. was just like cloud descended my, upon my the nation. My brother nature. was
0: born, and then the stock market just tanked. <laughs> and I woke up in the neighbor's house to the smell of bacon. And I was like, today is going to be a good day. <laughs> And it wasn't for basically anyone, anywhere, except me.
1: Because I got bacon and a baby brother. It was great. Sure. Fairbanks tried not to panic, but according to his clerk, he seemed concerned about how the stock market crash may affect his clients. And she said that he said, quote, the secret to a stock market crash is not to panic. Uh So uh, remember that, everyone. Yeah. Put that on a cookie, too. The secret of a stock market crash is not to panic.
0: If you were in England, this was right after the Great Storm, mm. another historic occasion around this time. Samantha's like, Liz, I don't care. Let's
1: get through this. about <laughs> this crooked judge. Within a month, Patricia came to see him asking why she was not receiving dividend checks. He claimed that her stock had lost value during the crash and that he was turning the checks back in so that the stocks would not lose value. And she was like, did I tell you to do that? Because that seems like something you would need my approval to do. I don't think she said that because she wasn't a bitchy old lady. No? She was a sweet old lady. Listen to the cookie. Within a month, Patricia... Oh. John Tweedy was another client. I love John I love John Tweedy. Does he have a mustache? M-M. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes guess he, he did. Not only did he have, did you draw it? Nice. It's called the Tweety. Not, of course. We got a <laughs> name after him. This guy is awesome. He is spunky and he's not taking anyone's he shit. He literally puts it on a pipe when he starts talking. <laughs> His last name is Tweety and he's dressed Tweety. Oh yeah, he's, he's wearing kind of flannel and a <laughs> jean jacket and he has one of those, like a lumberjack hat. Like what is he that hat he's wearing? It has like leprechaun vibes. Yes. Is he a leprechaun? I don't know, but I love him. Okay. All right. John Tweedy was another client who had made Fairbanks legal guardian for his brother Richard, who had schizophrenia and was institutionalized in a Virginia hospital. I think his brother had been institutionalized for like almost 40 years. So they were relying on his brother's estate, because his brother had real estate properties, to pay for his continued medical care. Yeah, and he put Fairbanks in char- in charge of his estate. He was the legal guardian. This is a truly
0: evil person to take advantage of the situation.
1: In November 1988, John insisted that Fairbanks meet him in person to discuss his concerned about concerns about his brother's holdings. He asked Fairbanks about his brother's estate, but Fairbanks avoided answering his questions. John was alarmed because Fairbanks in informed him that his brother's estate had lost 75% or that 75% of his brother's estate was completely gone. Uh, Fairbanks had never told him that the money was that low. And he says that if Fairbanks was really concerned about taking care of his brother's affairs, he would have notified him when the money had started to dip that low so that they could sell some of his brother's real estate. And then he literally is like, okay, well, why didn't you tell me when this happened? And the judge is just like, well, you're a hard man to get a hold of. I can't. You can't expect me to keep all that information in my head. Yeah, not a good explanation. Like, I don't think you should be trusted with these things then. Yeah, probably not. So John was suspicious, so he began his own investigation. He discovered that Fairbanks had sold stock and underreported what he had received for dividends. He found that at least $20,000 was missing from his brother's estate. It would turn out that more was missing, but that's all that John was able to determine from public records. John contacted the police and reported Fairbanks. So investigators discovered that Fairbanks owned several large, expensive homes, which seems suspicious for the amount of money he supposedly made. And they determined this by literally just driving past his house and being like, huh, it's a big house. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the way I would investigate something. And then they're like, turn out he
0: had another house. Bigger house. And it was like, on the sea and shit. Right? Suspicious. <laughs>
1: pretty
0: much it. <laughs> On June 6, 1980. I, they didn't even get it, like, <laughs> evaluated or something. They just went, yeah, no, a judge <laughs> should not have a house that <laughs> big.
1: Dawn, case closed. (laughs) Case closed. On June 6, 1989, Fairbanks resigned from the bench and retreated to his summer home in Maine. When John Tweedy's charges were made public, other clients came forward with their suspicions. Patricia Sawyer, for example, discovered that Fairbanks had placed her stocks into stock brokerage brokerage firms, even though she had not given him authority to do so. In total, she lost $500,000. Yeah, that's not good. So much money. I would even call that bad. (laughs) (laughs) I would. I would call that very bad. Investigators believe that Fairbanks had stolen so much money from various clients that he had completely cleaned out their accounts. It is believed that he stole over $10 million in a 20-year period. That's a lot. So much money. What a greedy judge. So much money. What does
0: he need $20 million for? I have no idea. Six boats? I've already made it clear that's too many.
1: (laughs) Too many boats. Three houses is too many houses. Yeah. Also. Enough
0: that people are just like, yeah, no, this guy's guy's (laughs) up to no good.
1: No. When investigators spoke to him in Maine, he attempted to set up a meeting with them. However, he never showed up and at the scheduled time. Surprise, surprise. I wonder if they should have just arrested him. On December 28th? Yeah. This is some How privilege do- in action. They're like, yeah, uh... So we're
0: made, gonna- they make an appointment to meet him. He reschedules it <laughs> and then doesn't show
1: up. I was like, what happens to dragging people out of things in handcuffs? Yeah. You no... Know? Not, not if you're a judge. Not this guy. On December 28th, 1989, Fairbanks was indicted on four counts of theft. The indictments listed more than 100 checks written by Fairbanks. These checks transferred money from clients' accounts to his personal accounts. The next day, his- Like, is that bad? Yeah. Well, yeah. Huh. Yeah, you can't just write, write
0: checks to hey, yourself. Guys, if you're weighed down by too many stocks and bonds, we are happy to take them. <laughs> You can find an address to mail them to on our website. Perhaps it's you.com. Or just, I. there's probably a way you could send them into our Patreon. That's slash perhaps it's you. If you need a,
1: a, a Venmo, let us know. Yeah. You can just I, send us money directly. Just, I'll just take it off your hands. Well, if you I'll, have too much money, if you have six boats, sell a boat and then give us the money. Yeah, that's actually required. We'll take if it if you have six boats. If you, yeah, you have to sell at least one and give us the money. At least you could probably do two, though. Let's be real.
0: <laughs> if you okay, yeah, sell two of the boats, give the money from one of the boats to us, and then the money from the second boat you do mean, something good with it. Yeah,
1: send it to the humane society. or Yeah, mansion. yeah, puppies. <laughs> and but also us but also us <laughs> we're a good cause too hi it's perhaps it's you <laughs> so the next day his pickup truck was found near his main home he has not been seen since so the result is that this case was solved on march 1994 after over four years on the run fairbanks body was discovered lying dead in a las vegas hotel as a result of suicide by asphyxiation <gasps> however do you think i stayed in the room where he killed himself Let's just say yes. Let's just pretend you did. No trace of the stolen money has ever been found. It is believed that he committed suicide because he noticed one of the investigators from his case at the casino's hotel. Hmm. Maybe. Fairbanks had been hiding out in a luxurious condo complex (laughs) in and around Quebec City from 1991 to early 1994 under the assumed name Richard Mansfield, telling people that he was a retired history professor who had taught at Ottawa and Boston. Police doubt they will ever find the money he stole. They believe that Fairbanks spent all of his clients' money before he took his own life. Wow. Which is a dick move. Yeah, what a dick. People lost so much money. I think John Tweedy said that they lost $300,000. Um, which he needed for Patricia his Sawyer. brother to take care of his brother's health. Yeah. That's so shitty. It's extremely you shitty. You know what? I judge this guy to be a bad dude. Yeah. Yeah, he was.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> my, my
1: judgment. <laughs> Which piano had fallen on his head. Yeah, well, at least he's dead. Yeah.
0: Okay, we get one last case. This is a lost love. This is just for Samantha.
1: And I spilled water all over myself <laughs> just now. <laughs> this is a rough episode, the case guys. of
0: Sue Scribner. Yeah. So she's 13 years old. It's the 50s. Everything looks cute as hell. Extremely. She's wearing bobby socks, walking by a red convertible. She comes home from church, but her mom wasn't at church for some reason, because I guess... I don't know. Her was a sinner. But so she... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not true. That's mean. So, she comes home from church. Her mom is sitting at the kitchen table, and she's clearly been crying, and she's, like, doodling on the newspaper these two names over and over again, Paul and Paula. And being 13 and now savvy enough to sort of realize that this is weird, she's like, Mom, who are these people? And her mom tries to pretend it's nothing. And she's like, yeah, but haven't you been crying? Yeah. And her mom confesses that before she was born, she gave birth to twins that she named Paul and Paula, that she had to give up for adoption. So we learn that they were born premature and that the doctor told her that they would both have health problems, that they needed heart surgery, and this was going to be very expensive. And because this is the best nation in the world, the solution to this problem was that she give up these babies and never see them again. So sad. So the doctor, I know, I just wrote down, can you imagine in all caps with several question marks and explanation points. She literally goes through this. She wants these babies. She wants the babies. She is pregnant. She goes through a stressful, horrible birth with These infants, who she's, like, very worried about because they are premature. And then the doctor's like, yeah, so you're right. Like, they're not that healthy. They're gonna, they would be okay if only they could get these surgeries, but you're too poor to afford them. So, the only solution I can come up with is that you give up all rights to them and I handle this adoption. Ugh... And um, I hate it. Yeah. And so this was her mom, Calista Scribner. The doctor had set up the adoption for a wealthy couple. And part of that condition was that she was never allowed to look for the infants.
1: Oh, my. It's so horrible. So
0: Calista did eventually go on to raise 10 children. Um, she never looked for the twins because that was part of their agreement, and she adhered to it for some goddamn reason. Um, but after she passed away, they found some letters that Calista had written to her sister at the time of the birth, and they are about the twins and them being born premature, but you can sort of tell from the letters that she's not planning to give them up for adoption and that she thinks she's taking them home. She's, like, talking about them improving and gaining weight and, like, oh, we should be able to leave the hospital next week and blah, blah, blah. So clearly, like, this interaction with the doctor had happened after that letter, So this, these, finding these letters sort of stirs up things with her family. Her family becomes really curious about tracking down the twins. And they ended up putting it in a newspaper article, which that person responded, Got an anonymous call from this like old woman saying like the twins are fine, but they don't know that they've been adopted. I'm going to tell them on Mother's Day for some fucking (laughs) reason, just to make that traumatic. And I'll call you back once they know. Okay. So Sue is all excited. She tells like the whole family like oh we're gonna find out where the twins are on Mother's Day, and like she can't wait. She can't wait. She can't wait. But that call never comes. So she ends up writing this very eloquent open letter that's published in a new few newspapers, just sort of, like, seeking them and telling them that they're loved and that we're looking for you and blah, blah, blah. And I don't think anything ever comes of that. But it ends up on Unsolved Mysteries. So then ten days after the broadcast, she hears from the twins, who are now named Bruce and Barbara. They had no idea they were adopted. I think their adoptive parents have since passed on. So wild. So she they end up having mm-hmm. a reunion where... Ooh, So they end up having a reunion where, like, six of the siblings get together with Bruce and Barbara to, like, meet for the first time ever. And it's really cute. And they end up saying things like, it's like we've known each other all our lives. It was so sweet. It, it was really reminded cute. me
1: a lot of my family. My mom has 15 brothers and sisters. I wish... It
0: blows my mind every time I hear and that. And
1: this little family reunion reminded me so much of her family. And everyone is laughing and joking and looking at old photo albums. It was the sweetest thing. Uh, everyone's wearing, like, super 90s clothes. I loved yes, it. Yes, And just the fact that they had no idea. They had no idea they were adopted. They had no idea
0: they had this other family that was looking for them. And... In a way, this is, like, the least sad lost love. Like, I'm sure it's very sad for Clarissa, who had to give them up, but we don't actually hear from her. We just hear from, like, her curious daughter, and then these people who didn't even know they were adopted. So really, none of these people hurt that much. They just were like, oh, I would like to know them, and then everybody's happy. So it's really as joyous as a lost
1: love could possibly be. The end. I love lost loves. That was a good episode. Should we rate it? Yes. Mysteriousness. (sighs) I think actually pretty mysterious. The first one's very mysterious. Yeah. Yeah. Very unsolved still to this day. Um, We don't know if all of those
0: murders are connected. It seems like they possibly are. Was the person Jane believes stabbed her? The same person that killed... Um, Barbara Agnew and the other victims in that area. We don't are know. We probably never know. It's very mysterious. It's very mysterious. That might be one of those cases that familial DNA oh, maybe. sort of stirs up. I, I kind of hope it does. We'll keep but. an eye on so that. So I'm going to give it a high thumbs up for Mysteriousness.
1: Yes. Reenactments? Good. They were Scary. W- they were scary. They were well done. Uh, that guy walking through the woods was very cinematic. It was yeah. a little cheesy, but I liked it. I think you get to, um,
0: not reenactments, but the segments of the people the judge swindled were very endearing and interesting. They were and, so endearing. Um, and this lost love is endearing too, so. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thumbs up. Fashion? Eh. I think the, the 90s you fashion get the, You get a, t- a touch of 50s-ness in the last one. Yeah. Overall, I don't think the episode has a ton of it, but
1: sideways? I was going through trying to find screenshots for this episode. There's just not a ton of screenshot-worthy material, but the 90s clothing, I got like 10. Oh, okay. And so the, then, the blue eyeshadow was just on that's fire. That's true. And I feel like I have a little... Some small eyebrows. Early 90s time capsule. That I'm going to post to our Instagram. So the fashion was decent. Uh, Robert Stack. Casual Stack was... Casual Stack. I like a casual stack, but he was very it was, uncomfortable It looking. looked like... he it was like, like his sleeves were too tight or something. It was like he hated dressing
0: down that much. It's like he... Casual Stack, first of all, is like fancier than I ever am at any moment <laughs> in my life. And he was like, oh, these... These dreads. It was like he
1: didn't know where to put his hands. He still had pockets. Like, he always puts his hands in his pockets when he's wearing a suit. Yeah, You could put your hands in your... Yeah, uh, khakis he just like stopped by to go like guess what serial
0: killers li- live among us every day bye <laughs> he just slowly <laughs> fades into a hedge <laughs> he's like I don't have to really like worry that about Homer that though Simpson gif. yeah um, he just... just goes back into the hedge he's like I don't really worry about it though because I'm rich and famous <laughs> <Ta-ta-ta-ya."> <laughs> so what does that get
1: him uh, yeah but I
0: don't, know. I don't thumb, even know
1: thumbs quarter of the way I don't know if I'm doing a thumb war Yeah,
0: sure. All right, out of
1: a possible five Robert Staggs. I think it's pretty good. I'm going to say four. Okay. I was going to go with a three and a half. Okay. wasn't my favorite. wasn't my least favorite, but I did enjoy parts of it.
0: I think the judge case is frustrating, but it's interesting. It's a little bit different.
1: I liked the characters in that one. Yeah.
0: I wish there was a fourth case instead of the stupid thing we already saw that even update. though it's almost they could worth have it easily to sh-
1: squeezed in a just to show mystery. Duncan, though liz is fanning herself <sighs> yeah duncan is is hot stuff <laughs> all <laughs> right that's the end of this episode and i think oh we are got grace. so thankful oh, oh thank god that's the end of the
0: episode yeah so we're doing recommendations now yeah it's your turn all right have a i have a quick and fast one i've actually already posted this in the group Oh, okay. But Wired Magazine does a series of videos called Technique Critique, which are usually about actors doing accents in movies, which is kind of interesting, but they have two that are very interesting. One is a forensic scientist going through TVs and movies to tell you what is realistic. And one is a lawyer going through TVs and movies to tell you what is realistic. And I wish this was like a 16 hour doc like i could watch that forever it is the most interesting thing and if anybody knows any other shows that are like that please let me know because i really want people to just watch on and order and tell me if stuff would really happen or not <laughs> that is fascinating when i was in high school and i had to take an american government class like It got to the point where basically every day I would go into class and I'd be like, so last night on the practice, the judge threw out the jury verdict. Could that really happen? And then my teacher would have to say "Like whether or not what I had said on television could really happen. Amazing. So you had to experience that in real life. Yes. So I would love more. I want more of a show or a podcast or anything that's just like, yeah, that thing that happened on Law and Order would never happen. Or Yes, it would, nice. but it's technique critique.
1: I like from it. Wired
0: Magazine. If you're looking for it, I I think the forensic science one is a little bit better. But don't you want to hear a real lawyer talk about Legally
1: Blonde? Like yes, yes, you do. I do. You oh do? Oh my god, yeah, I do. Yeah, I really do. Alright, I have a feel like a quick recommendation to you. I can't really think of anything, so I pulled another book off the of my Goodreads sure, that I read during our hiatus. And this is another short read, so if you're interested in that, um this is the test by Sylvain Nouvelle, which I think just came out. Yeah, it came out May thirteenth, two thousand nineteen. Oh no, that's when I finished it. I don't know. It came out recently. Wait, are um, you gonna give me the test? No, you don't want to take this test. I assumed not. it was not good. Uh so Sylvain Nouvelle wrote the Famous Files which are also really good books. I don't think I've recommended them. It's a trilogy of books um that I read. I liked the first two books. I didn't really like the third one. It's very different than the other three. But they're written in like dossier style. Okay. So it's like a series of letters and some recordings yeah, I like that. It's very visual. The books are really good because they're visual. Um and then the audiobooks are really good because they are a full cast. So I feel like regardless of how you like to read your books you would like it they're a science fiction um, series in which like the the opening of the first book is this young girl falls th- like the earth falls out underneath her and she lands in a giant robot hand and that sets everything into motion sure. it's very fascinating it's very problem good that's happened to all of us i think i think we can all relate It happened to me just yesterday Alright, so Sylvain Nouvelle wrote this... I believe it's a novella. It's very short. Um, It's called The Test. I'm just going to read you the description. Award-winning author Sylvain Nouvelle explores an immigration dystopia in The Test. Britain, the not-too-distant future. A deer is sitting... The British citizenship test. He wants his family to belong. Twenty-five questions to determine their fate. Twenty-five chances to impress. When the test takes an unexpected and tragic turn, a deer is handed the power of life and death. How do you value life when all you have is multiple choice? So this book, that's like all I don't even like want to tell you much about it because there's a, a wild twist sure. that I did not see coming. Um it's I don't know, I wanna call it like poignant. Especially in, like, the context of our discussions in today's world about immigration. it's But also, it's also highly entertaining. It's, like, it's fast-paced. I read it in an afternoon. It was so good. Um, I will give you a warning that it's quite intense. Not really graphic, but it is intense. And so, that when I say entertaining, I don't mean it's a light read, because it's not. Um, but, but it's, it like, a, a hard-to-put-down read. It was very hard okay. to put down, because it... Almost immediately started. It was just action-packed, nonstop, through the whole brief book. Um, I couldn't put it down. I really wanted to know what happened. I could easily see this made into a movie. Um, It was just extremely, extremely good. Yeah, I just really recommend it. And if you've read The Famous Files, I think you'll really like this. It's way different than The Famous Files. Don't expect anything like that. But it's really good. And I want to say, I was just blown away by it. Like, it was just... I don't know, poignant is the way I want to describe it, and it's almost a weird book to recommend, because unless you've experienced it, I feel like you can't really understand, but I highly recommend it. Did you watch 3% on Netflix? No. I saw a bunch of, I feel like, previews for it, though. Yeah,
0: just your description of that kind of reminded me of it. I just saw that they had new episodes come out, and I was like, that's weird. I felt like it kind of really wrapped up. But um, mm, Interesting. It's a Portuguese show that's kind of in a dystopia. And at a certain age, I can't remember what age, but basically everyone in society takes a test okay. to see if they get to go to, and I forget what they call it, but it's essentially like an island where there's actually resources. Like, sure. It's nice there and you get medical attention and you, know, you get to live like a nice lavish life. Ah. But only the top 3% of the worthy get to go and everybody else has to stay in the bad part. Okay. So it's this meritocracy and it's about I I think it's like I don't know 23 or who knows. Hmm. When you reach a certain age every you everyone that age goes and takes this test and then the 3% that pass get to go to the place. So it's about the people that year that go to take the test and like
1: it is that what is happens. somewhat similar to this. Although this follows a single character and the the um world in which this story is set is Britain, and it seems like the way they determine whether or not you get to be a citizen is someone – you're randomly chosen to take the test, and if you pass, your entire family gets citizenship. If you don't, you're immediately on a plane. Mm -hmm. Your whole family is out. So people study extremely hard. They go in to take this test. There's pop culture questions. There's, like – morality-based questions. Um, there's only 25 questions, and if you pass, you and your whole family get citizenship, and so you get to be in the mind. It's a first-person story, and yeah. you're in the mind of this character, Adir, who has his wife and, I think, two children there with him. He's really hoping to start this new life. They I can't remember off the top of my head where they emigrated from, but there was a lot of strife where they came from, and they're hoping to have a new better life in Britain and it's his story of him taking this test. And like I said, there's a there's a wild turn and it's fast paced like almost from the beginning. Huh. so very interesting. highly recommend and like I, one of my goals this year was to read shorter books. so I have a few more on my list. I'm gonna and I think more hammer books about out. rabies. I don't think I'm gonna read more books about rabies. one was enough, but isn't that more than you read last year? It is more books about rabies than I've ever read before. So, check. You succeeded. (laughs) I I checked that goal. Yeah, make low goals and then check them off. I don't know if other people are also reading books about diseases, but I feel like I've hit a – I want to read more, and I feel like I've hit a little lull. I was going to read The Hot Zone, but then in one of the other books I read – um it was all about how the hot zone sucks yeah but how he like made up a bunch of shit i've actually heard that so like a lot of what makes that book really good and really action-packed is just completely false like it's not even really true about ebola so here that book is apparently so bad that me a book a
0: person who has not read a bunch of books about diseases has heard that that book is bullshit
1: it's the one that everyone recommends because it reads like a thriller but the reason it reads like a thriller is because it's mostly fiction that's really shitty so that really turned me off from reading that book so if you have any recommendations about don't read the hot zone sure
0: uh yeah but if you want to tell samantha books about gross diseases that she could read let me know her dms are open
1: (laughs) books about gross diseases that's all i'm looking for i don't need to hear about your gross liz is winking i'm glad the audience couldn't see that (laughs) I want to hear about your gross excuses. <laughs> okay, so that's a great point to leave this episode behind this us. This is the worst episode we've ever recorded. I Don't think, answer that.
0: I think... Don't add us. We'll just call this one the worst episode, and then that's it. No, we're calling it Raw Dogging It or whatever you want it. <laughs> I said raw and ready. okay. You freak.
1: <laughs> oh, and you, you know, asked that <laughs> He vetoed that. <laughs> That's right. No, we're calling it be a bitchy old lady, not a sweet old lady. That's way too long. No, it's not. There's no character. Maybe there is. I Can don't you know. Can you put bitchy in it? Oh, I would have to put a little asterisk or something. I hate that. I have to censor. I don't want to censor our title, but we might Okay, yeah, this is our worst episode. Thanks for
0: bearing with us. We love you all. All
1: right, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm doing the plug, and then you do the plug, and then I do the plug and then you t- <laughs> wow I pushed Solant Mantha to her limit everyone
0: what are we talking about you're doing the plug and then I'm doing the plug and okay. then you're doing the plug thank you thank you she hates me now everybody <laughs> oh my uh,
1: God. we're on social media Facebook Instagram Twitter perhaps it's you we only accept five star reviews at Apple Podcasts
0: but we're also you can listen to us on other things like Stitcher and Podbeam and we're whatever on the Stitcher th-
1: oh it's are ex- we yeah I think we are wasn't that the one we're on no, we're on Spotify. Spotify. Is Stitcher work? S. I don't even know. What is Stitcher? I have no idea. Is that needlework? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I think it is a way to listen to stuff. <laughs> we're the worst podcasters of all time. We
0: are the worst podcasters of all time. Anyway, if you want to give you're... us some money,
1: because we're so good, patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. We did a really good episode of Forensic Files this month.
0: Uh, you should give us money, because how else does the fuck are we going to get better? Think about it. Never mind that we haven't gotten better yet, but... It's because it's not enough. That judge stole $20 million.
1: We got a long ways to go.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Send us your stock
1: dividends. Yeah, we want bonds. Send us bonds. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. Don't send us that. Just send us money. Bonds bonds bonds, Patreon, bonds, bonds. 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 You'll get some really cool shit. If you give us $10 a month or more, and why would you do that? But you get something <coughs> super sweet this month. Well, you won't get it this time. You'll get it in You get yeah. something every quarter, so if you start giving us $10 a month, you'll get something next time. But if you're already giving us $10 a month, you're, you're gonna, gonna get you're going to be blown away. Yeah. I don't know if I want to spoil it. So excited. We'll probably see a picture on Instagram in the coming weeks. Uh, but just be excited. Let's just stop talking. Let's just stop We probably should. Do I we plug we're... everything? I think so. Rate us. Send us an email. Perhaps it's podcast at gmail.com. But only no. to
0: tell us that we're good or to give us your paranormal story. Those are the only emails
1: we <laughs> We actually have we have filters on our Gmail account that filter out bad emails. Emails telling us we're not good <laughs> Can't stop laughing.
0: (laughs) I just hope Samantha's still friends with me tomorrow. That's my only hope right now. I don't care about this podcast anymore. I just want Samantha to forgive me. The friendship
1: is over. Oh, no. No, it's not.
0: I knew this day would come. (laughs) But Samantha is so hard to make friends in Minnesota. (laughs) What am I going to do? Oh, no. Goodbye, everyone solve some fucking mysteries. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)